The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field, and so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you." because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as, he spoke, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until her master, his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house." As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, as Ryan comes forth this morning to uh, expound upon your word. I pray that your spirit would be upon him. As we look at, a, at, at the troubling concept of sin in our lives, uh, Lord, I pray your spirit would, would bring clarity to our minds, bring conviction to our hearts, 
I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your word spoken through Pastor Ryan. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. How you guys doing? Awesome. It's good to, good to have you here this morning. Great to, great to have those of you that are guests of, of folks that were getting baptized. Um, what you need to know about where we're at in our life as a church is we've been, we've been journeying through the book of Genesis for quite some time now. And uh, the thing that I think has been most surprising is that God pulls no punches when we tend to think about the patriarchs and their families and their own ability to have a righteousness of their own. It is quite clear uh, that there is no righteousness of their own to be had. And even in the case of the story you hear today, you just wouldn't put this in the Bible if it wasn't true, right? And so uh, it it got me thinking about kind of the angle that I wanted to take and the tack that I want to take with Genesis 39. And I I really think that the most helpful tack for us as a people today would be to focus on this idea of temptation. Um, There's a lot of other things that happen in the story, Um, And the theme that is clear throughout uh, this passage is that the Lord's with him, and that's what changes things. Wasn't that Joseph was great, he had all this stuff together, but the Lord was with him. And that's what gave him favor and made him flourish, no matter what his circumstances were. But the the fact remains that temptation was still a part of his life, and it's a part of your life, and we're going to explore that today. Um, When I first became a believer, I was the first Christian in my family, and I, I lived in central Kentucky, and I was in this small youth group there, um, and uh, one of my friend's dad was a, was a vice president with a large company that would involve frequent travel, and he, he just so happened to be one of our youth leaders in the ministry, too, when he was in town. Um, and, and the thing you got to know about Terry was that he was, he was in the process of leaving uh, this uh, very substantial position of this company to pastor this tiny little church in central Kentucky with 40 people in it. And, uh, and in my mind, I'm thinking, man, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen before. This seems like he's going backwards in life. But the thing that was so evident about his life is that he was called by God to do it. And now that, that church is, a, is an amazing church. But at this juncture in his life, I specifically remember like when I was becoming a believer, it was so bizarre. It was, like tw- it was over 20 years ago. Um, but he, 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 he shared with us something that was amazing. Um, <clears throat> One of the things I remember him telling us teenage boys in our small group was about temptation. He, he told us that every single time that he would go to Detroit on business, his, his company would put him up in these swanky ho- hotels, you know, with great restaurants and amenities. And, and he said like many nights when he was in that hotel room there alone, someone would come and knock on his door and it wasn't room service, all right? And they would be, they would solicit him. And, and, and he, I, the thing that, that caught me off guard was that he was telling us that this was happening as young men. And we're like, man, why is he being so honest to us? And as I look back at it now, I'm so thankful for it because he pulled no punches to me as a new believer in the fact that temptation would be a part of the journey ahead for us middle school boys. And it was so helpful for us to not be caught off guard by it, like something strange was happening in our hearts and our life when we were faced with trial testing uh, and temptation. Um, it significantly shaped my life as a believer. Um, and, and, and God, and the thing I think I want us to know and see today is this, is that God permits temptation to happen for at least a couple reasons. One, to test our faith. And two, to finish our faith. Because a faith that can't be tested should not be trusted. 
That's why God allows it to happen. Most of us live our lives wishing that we would never have to face temptation, that, that we would uh, never have to have our faith tested. And we wonder, why did God even allow the serpent into the garden in the first place, right? Why, why did God even allow Job to be tested, if you know the story of Job? And most of all, why does God allow me to be so tempted by sin? For those of us who long to experience deep and abiding victory over sin and the temptation to sin, I have really good news for you today, and it's our big idea, that the only way to consistently overcome temptation in this life is through a right relationship with God, through Christ. So here's kind of the outline of where we're going with Genesis 39 and this idea of temptation. Really kind of three areas, three questions that I'm asking. What happens in temptation? Like, what are the mechanics of it? Like, what is happening in temptation? What does it mean to be overtaken by temptation? And lastly, how can we escape temptation? So let's dig into this. What happens in temptation? What are the mechanics of it? Now, for image bearers of God, the occasion for temptation has always been a part of God's plan for us. In fact, you must know this, that temptation in and of itself is not sin. Now, I know it feels dirty when we're tempted to sin, but you need to know that temptation that is resisted by faith in Christ is not sin. After all, if you think about it, temptation was a part of the world before sin ever entered it. However, most people experience so little victory over temptation that we tend to equate temptation with sin. But what if God could provide a different way for us? So what's the nature of temptation? Temptation occurs anytime the enemy attempts to twist or to distort God's word and his will in a way that could lead to sin, all right? So it's, it's the enemy that's taking something good that God has given to us that's twisted and distorted that could lead us to sin. Now, what are the sources of temptation, right? I know we, we tend to think about the little devil on our shoulder or whatever, which I don't know where we got that image from anyway, but I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's accurate. But anyway, it's another, another time, another place. But um, really, the scriptures tell us three sources of temptation. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So the schemes of the devil, the system of rebellion in this world, and our own fallen nature. And when they cooperate with the world and the devil himself, they try to to, to, to tap into our hearts through, agree, through agreement in which we, we enter into sin. James, who's Jesus's uh, little half-brother, says it really well. He talks a lot about temptation. I wonder if it's because he saw Jesus be so tempted uh, in his life with him. James chapter 1 is super helpful when we think about temptation, a place probably that you should, you should be familiar with uh, if you're anything like me. James 1, verses 12 through 15 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But here's what's happening. Each person is tempted when he, he or she is lured and enticed by his or her own desire. Then, 
Desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What an interesting passage of Scripture, right? As part of God's desire to complete us and give us the crown of life in eternity that we all desperately long to receive, we desperately long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, don't we, church? We long to hear those words from Jesus. In our pursuit of that, it means that our faith in Christ must be exercised in this world in two directions at least. In this fallen world, so among the lost in this world, among the systems of this world, and with this sinful heart that's still being perfected and cleansed. And what this means is that temptation, according to James, is activated, if you will, when something outside of us connects with something inside of us, and we are tempted to step out from God's rule and design in our lives. John Owen said it best. This is one of my favorite quotes. If you've been here for six months, you've definitely heard me quote this. Temptations and trials, they put nothing into a man. So just stop right there. Think about the last time that you were tempted or that you gave in to sin. And you think, man, I just wish that wasn't in the way. I just wish that wasn't in my life. I just wish it wasn't out there. Well, the problem is not what's out there. The problem is what's in here. The problem is, is that what's in here agreed with what, what was out there. He says, they only draw out what was in him before. That's what James 1 is telling us. So if we want to know what's inside of our heart, if we truly want to see how our faith in Jesus is functioning or malfunctioning, we must be tested and tried, and we will experience temptation. It is part of the course of action that we have in this life, part of the journey that we're on. So we better know what to do with temptation when we face it. Let's look at this example of temptation from Genesis 39. All right, so we're at the story of Joseph, and really the, the, the rest of the book of Genesis kind of centers on Joseph and his brothers and his relationships uh, in Egypt. Now, Joseph is one of, uh, one of Jacob's sons who was sold into slavery. He, we read that he was like the favorite son. He had this really magnificent coat, and all of his brothers hated him up because, of, because their father loved him more, and so they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And uh, he just happens to land by God's providence in one of the most powerful men's house in all of Egypt, a guy named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar is the captain of the Egyptian guard, which likely means that he's over Pharaoh's entire army. Basically, um, so, so basic, Joseph is basically in the second, probably the second most powerful household in all of Egypt, all right? And then he's in this situation that I'll remind you of. I'm going to read, I'm not going to read all of Genesis 39 again, but I want to read eight verses here for us to kind of catch us up to speed and let us hear it again and let it soak in. Scriptures say this, and remember these first four words especially. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. So this unbeliever sees that the Lord's with him, right? And, and he's going to respond to that. And the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph finds favor in the sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field, everything he touched. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and became and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. 
Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. The brother looked good, okay? And, um, and, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, and pay attention to this, because of my master, as he has no concern over anything in his house, and he's put everything in my charge. He, uh, there's none greater in this house than I am, and he hasn't kept anything back from me except for you. And it's because you're his wife. How could I do this great wickedness and sin against, against Potiphar? Is that what it says? No, against God. And she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. So Joseph is this attractive guy. And we see over and over again in this passage that God is with Joseph. And, and Moses wants to make it really clear that that's the point of the passage, right? It's not like, you know, 10 steps into to how to be a Joseph when you're around Potiphar. It's, it's not that. It's that God is with him. Don't think for a second that Joseph wouldn't have given in if God wasn't with him, okay? <clears throat> Joseph is living in such a full-hearted, worshipful way with the Lord that even his unbelieving master takes notice and blesses Joseph's life because of the blessing that Joseph is. Joseph is like the COO of his, of his household over the second most, likely the second most powerful family in Egypt. So he, he's like a, you know, he's, he's, like, he's like managing a multi-billion dollar business and industry, right? I mean, that's the kind of influence that Joseph has in this, in this, in this household. And God is using Joseph through business. Think about this, especially those of you, which is like, you know, 98% of you in the room that aren't in vocational ministry, God is using Joseph through the work that he does Monday through Friday. God is building his kingdom through the work that Joseph is doing. Don't think for one second that God isn't interested in your work. He's using him. So many times I think we, we fail, uh, we, well, rather we extract faith from the work that we do. But maybe it's one of the ways that God is bringing his kingdom to bear in this world is through the work that you do, just like he did with Joseph. Now, Potiphar's wife, the other character here, she has her own desires, and she approaches Joseph and literally says in the Hebrew, it basically says, sex now. It's two words. It's a command, right? It's an imperative. So she's using her power to tempt Joseph into, into sin, and she is a source of temptation in Joseph's life, one that he can't avoid. He has to go to work, right? He's a slave. And the two, you know, you think about this, the two could maybe engage in this consensual relationship, and maybe things might even get better for Joseph for a season. But Joseph in this moment is not drawing on his internal resources. He's drawing on his external resources, the fact that he belongs to God, and he, and he reports first and foremost to his Lord. That's where the strength in Joseph's life comes from. He's remembering, like King David would say later, against you and you only have I sinned. And of course, David sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and their whole family. But in that moment, it was as if David had only sinned, you know, the most before God. I think Joseph is thinking about the other side of that, right? That's the way he's seeing his situation. And you have to get this idea for Joseph that day after day, she's trying to entice him to come out from under God's will. She's luring him each and every day. Now, you know, this isn't a sermon to like shame women. We got, we got 38 other chapters of the simple things men have done, right? Amen? I mean, it's been a lot. And so um, 
what she's doing is she's, you know, she's luring him each and every day to try to connect with some piece of his soul that's not connected to his father in heaven, that he would come out for under his will and reign in his life. That's how the enemy works in our lives too. It's like if you've ever played Jenga before with your kids or with your friends maybe, you know, you're pulling blocks out trying to keep the tower up. You get the impression that that's what Potiphar's wife is doing to Joseph day after day. Maybe, maybe something would connect and, and he would come out from under God's rule and reign and, and he, his, this temptation would lead to sin in his life. That's what the enemy does in our lives too. Most of the time it's a slow descent, one block at a time. It's not like pulling the, you know, the two blocks out from the middle and the whole thing crashes down. It's usually one little piece at a time and the enemy tries to connect with something inside of our heart that's shaken loose from God's kingdom. And so if temptation is unavoidable and it's in everyone's life, including Jesus's life on this earth, we have to ask this question, where does temptation exist in your life today? Because either you're aware of it or you're not. Either you're giving into it or you're not. Everyone is tempted. First Peter 5.8 says it so strongly. Peter says this, and Peter was, Peter was a guy that knew what it was like to be tempted. He says this, look, be sober-minded. Don't think too highly of yourself. Be, be watchful. Know how the enemy wants to tempt you because your adversary, get this picture in your mind, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and you think he's not looking for you? How are you tempted? Where does it exist for you? I'm so thankful that Terry Cooper, when I was 14 years old, told me, hey, watch out, you're going to be tempted. And that it's been a part of my journey. The enemy wants us to cover up temptation, to hide from it and act like it doesn't exist, that we are above that somehow. However, to shoulder temptation alone is to go shoulder to shoulder with the most clever and deceptive being in the world, and you will be devoured. Think about that. It's why 2 Corinthians 2.11 says this, warns us that it's possible to be outwitted by Satan. Why? Because he's clever. And where does he work most effectively in the lives of believers? He works most effectively one-on-one -on -one in the dark. I want you to know, church, that it is not sin to bring that temptation into the light with your brothers and sisters that you walk with. But I fear that most of us likely don't want to bring temptation into the light because we've already been overcome by it. But being overcome by temptation does not have to be the end of our story. So let's keep exploring this. What does it mean to be overtaken by temptation? So when we look at this instance in Joseph's life, here's what we see. We see a man that escapes temptation through the power and favor of God that is resting upon his life. He ultimately refuses the Potiphar's wife uh, that proposition by boiling it down to faith in his relationship with God. That's what he's thinking through. That's the grid he's looking at this situation through. How can I commit this sin against God, he says. <clears throat> we typically handle temptation when we are aware of it like this. We say, I won't give in. I won't give in. I won't give in. I won't give in. 
I won't do this tomorrow. This will never happen again. And we try to muster up, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just really exposed right now. I don't know. You guys aren't responding, so I don't know. But, but I typically face temptation that way. But I think God is calling us to a better way when we're tempted, right? Attempting to overcome temptation by sheer willpower and suppression of desire will ultimately fail us. If the way to not be overtaken by temptation is to look to the Lord for our help and to remain in right relationship with him and his people, if that's our solution, then we must repent of the lies and come back into the truth. That's the way forward. And the only way to come back into the truth is to confess the darkness. What was the temptation that Joseph was tempted to give into here? It was an intimate relationship with a woman that was not a believer and not a spouse. The Bible says that sex outside of the bounds of marriage is sin, whether it's premarital or extramarital. And that's not news to most of us, but maybe to some of it is. I mean, let's be honest. We need to make that explicit in today's age. But for Joseph to give into this would be to come into an agreement with the enemies, distortion of God's good design of intimacy. I had the opportunity to reread a book that I love called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And he, he talks about what happens whenever we choose to go down the road of, 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 of giving into the temptation to pursue sexual intimacy outside of the bounds of marriage. Here's what he says. He says, the Christian attitude does not mean that there is anything wrong about sexual pleasure any more than about the pleasure of eating. It means that you must not isolate the pleasure and try to get it by itself any more than you ought to get the pleasure of taste without swallowing and digesting by chewing things and spitting them out again. What an interesting picture that Lewis gives us about what happens. What an interesting picture Lewis gives us about what, have ha- what would have happened to Joseph if he was overtaken by this temptation. What an interesting picture for us to consider as we think about the times that we have given in to temptation. And I know that every person in here can relate to this struggle and living in God's design of intimacy. Lewis makes the point that the enemy, and this is the key part, wants to isolate the pleasure from the relationship, right? The joy from the commitment. That's what the enemy wants to do. You see, the enemy cannot create anything in and of himself. He's not a creator. Only God creates. All the enemy can do is twist and distort and deceive, and he does it everywhere he possibly can. It doesn't matter if you're not tempted sexually, you're tempted in other ways. And and in those places, the enemy wants to twist and distort and deceive God's good gifts into something where he isolates the relationship from the pleasure or the joy. The temptation that the Potiphar's wife was living out of and wanted Joseph to come into agreement with, she was saying that the best way to live is to live outside of God's design. Now, Lewis says that this kind of living is like It's like eating food, you know, getting the pleasure of the taste and then making yourself so sick that you don't have to endure the caloric intake. You know, we know this as as an emotional disorder uh, disorder called bulimia. And Luce isn't making, he's not making light of that. But it is true. The enemy can't ever create things. He only distorts and he only twists things. And so when temptation overcomes us, James 1 says something key for us. That what's happened is desire that existed within us has been allured out by something outside of us. And when we come into an agreement with it, 
Sin is birth. Now, what we know about sin from James 1 is that it leads to what? Death. This is the whole reason, church, that Jesus had to die. It's not because we're tempted. It's because we've come into an agreement with with, 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 a, with a, a way of living outside of God's design that is birth sin that will lead to death. And that's why Jesus comes. This is what First John says. He gives us really good news. And I'll just say this. Giving into temptation is only the end of your story if you're no longer interested in the truth. That's the only time it's the end of your story when you're no longer interested in God's provision in Jesus Christ to cover and reclaim and give you a way of escape in your life. Here's what 1 John says. Again, this is, this is another guy that was super close to Jesus that wrote this letter, right? This is his best friend on the earth, the Apostle John. He says this. If we say that we have fellowship with him, with Jesus, while we walk in darkness, you know, we, we deny that we're tempted. We're not real with people. He says what we do is we lie and we do not practice the truth. Think about that. Truth is something that's not meant to just be cognitively believed or rationally believed, but it's something that's meant to be practice. So head, heart, hands, the whole bit, right? So he says that the truth that is believed should be practice. So he says if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with God. No. The first thing he says, we have fellowship with one another. It's insinuated that we have fellowship with God, but this fellowship with one another is so key. I find it so interesting that that's the first thing that he mentions about walking in the light, that we have fellowship with one another. Because we walk in the light, not in isolation, but together as God's family. In fact, I think it's impossible to walk in the light alone. And he goes on to say this, and we, we have this fellowship with one another. What happens to us corporately together as his family is that, is that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. That we don't have to act like we're never tempted. We don't have to hide it when we give into temptation and sin is birth that wants to take us to death. He says, if we say we have no sin, we're just deceiving ourselves. And the truth, it's not in us. But if we confess our sins, church, this is the way out. If you are being held captive today because you have given into temptation and you are filled with shame, this is the way out. If we confess our sins, he, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we haven't sinned, what we do is we make Jesus the liar. And his word's not in us. That's the way of escape if you're overtaken by temptation today. You need to know that the enemy wants to produce death in you. And so that's why he keeps you in the darkness. But God has made this wonderful provision for you in Christ. And it's not one of these things where, you know, you just confess your sins, you know, once or twice a year. All of life is confession for us, church, because we need the blood of Jesus to cover all of our sins, right? Each and every day. And he says, Really, the byproduct of this, of believing this, is that we walk in the light together and we have fellowship with one another. We say, oh, you too, I'm not the only one. And it's this amazing reality. And we think that if we confess our sins and we, we reveal that we're actually sinners and that we've been living in darkness and we've been deceived, that, that God will think less of us. But in fact, he pours more of his love into our hearts when we do that. And we want to obey more and more the more that we confess. 
It's this amazing thing that God does, and this is the truth. But the question for us is this. Will we choose to love the truth more than the lies? Because what you've done doesn't matter as much as what you do with what you've done. And the offer stands from Jesus himself that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us and to let his perfect righteousness wash over our fellowship with one another. How will we escape this temptation? Though started talking about it, let's keep talking about it here. It's the last point here, land in the plane. Literally, right? I mean, the planes, you guys hear them all the time. Anyway, it's lots of distractions, but it's good. So we look at Joseph's life. How did Joseph overcome temptation? It wasn't by sheer willpower. It wasn't, it's not about going to be a Joseph today. The Bible says the Lord is with Joseph. And the Lord's presence and power in our hearts and lives through faith are our only hope in overcoming temptation as well. The story of Joseph in Potiphar's house is that Potiphar's wife is so so filled with shame and rage and likely embarrassment because of this whole situation uh, that she concocts this entire narrative to out of her unfulfilled desires for Joseph. She, she lies, she uses her power and influence in a way that will lead him to be put into the king's prison. But over the course of time there, the, 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 the same thing plays out when Joseph's there, that everything he does, he succeeds, and everything he touches turns to proverbial gold, right? And, and it reminds us that God's good sovereign hand in our life is really all that we need to find, fu- to find fullness in this life. It's a reminder that our circumstances are not the defining mark of our lives. Joseph escapes this temptation. He runs out into the city, buck naked, right? I mean, and he gets thrown into prison, but he escaped the temptation because God's hand was on his life. What we need to know, especially since trials and temptations are unavoidable in this life, is how in the world can we escape the temptation too? See, in the Garden of Eden, there was, there was sin, and there was, this, there was this hook set in the heart of mankind, not just in Adam and Eve's heart, but in my heart and your heart. One that says God can't be trusted, that he's just lying to us, and that we can know better than God, and the enemy is still setting that same hook in the world today. And if you're anything like me, it's hard to find any kind of assurance of my salvation, any kind of confidence in it, when we see how often we give into temptation. Am I the only one here? You just, you just think, man, if I, if I could just knock it out of the park for maybe a week, man, I feel way better about what Jesus did, right? But what we're depending on is our own ability. God never calls you to depend on your own ability. That's not a life of faith. Think about Jesus' life. Right after he's baptized, what is the first thing that Jesus goes to do in Matthew chapter 4? He goes out into the desert to hang out with the Lord and just chill for 40 days, right? No. He goes out into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. And the scripture says when he was hungry, the enemy came to him and began to tempt him. The first thing Jesus does on his mission to rescue us is to face temptation and to overcome it. Why? Because that's what the enemy's been doing in the, in the history of God's people. He's been setting the hook in our lives. And Jesus is, he's, he's really kind of caging the lion in Matthew 4, right? 
He's kind of showing that he has power over temptation. And the scripture says that, you know, that the, that the enemy left and, and, and would seek him at an opportune time. And I think that was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus really wondered if this was God's plan for his life. But we know on the other side of the resurrection, what Jesus actually did was give us a way of escape to tap into through faith. And the writer of Hebrews says this in two different places. And I'll just read it for you real quick. It's about the nature of Jesus and what he accomplished and how he can be trusted with our own vulnerability and confession and what he does with that. Hebrews 2.18 and 4.15 says this, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Church, do you need help today? Where are you finding help? Where are you finding relief today? 4.15 goes on to say, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do you need help today? Are you isolated and singled out in temptation? Jesus was tempted in every way, and I got news for you. That means he was sexually tempted too. Is, every way includes that, right? He was tempted in every way. So whatever you just kind of feel isolated in and you think, you know, God doesn't really understand what I'm going through. He's not really with me. He's been tempted in every way. And he's overcome because he's God and we're not. And we need his help. But will we be desperate enough to seek it on his terms is the question. I want to offer three hopes of how God's grace gives us power in the face of temptation. The first one is this. He gives us hope to shine forth in temptation. Jesus gives us courage to shine forth with integrity in the midst of a crooked world. Remember, we've got these three spheres of temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are aimed at those. The first one is the world. So the scripture says that sometimes the way the Spirit empowers us to escape temptation is to shine forth as light in the world. So this is a long play, right? This isn't escaping and, you know, with the, <laughs> and, and running away. This is a long play. This is one that, that is day after day integrity and faithfulness. Uh, and, and Paul writes about it to the church in Philippians like this, in Philippi like this. He says, you know, here's how you can do it. Here's how you can play the long play. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. So here's my question to you. Are you in a workplace, a family, or an environment that is absolutely toxic and all you want to do is run away, but you can't? Is that you today? And you wonder, man, what does it look like to, not, to just not give in to this temptation to do, to do sinful things with money or responsibility or relationships or language? Is it a twisted and crooked environment where everyone cheats, lies, steals, and deceives? Paul says, as you hold fast to Jesus, something's going to happen. It's a byproduct, not anything you can produce, but light is going to shine forth through your life. 
Don't expect instant gratification, but it's a long play, he says. May your integrity be the help you need to resist the devil. Will that, like in Joseph's case, some, you know, mean sometimes that you're taken advantage of? Probably so. But remember, we're playing the long game as Christians. Everything that happens to us, and I want you to not forget this, everything that happens to us goes through God's hands before it ever hits us. That's the lesson we get from Job's story, right? Everything that hits you hits the Lord first. May the Lord empower you to shine forth this week in that way. Second thing is this. Hope could mean running from temptation. And what we see is that Jesus gives us strength to run from the desires of the flesh that entangle us. Maybe you're in a place right now, like Joseph was, where, to be honest, you just need to run. You need to run from a toxic relationship. You need to run from an addicting behavior. Your flesh is tempted, and it might mean that you get exposed, but you need to run. You know, some people use this old adage, you know, in the Bible that God will never give you more than you can handle. And when somebody can show me where that is in the Bible, I'll believe it, but it's not in there, right? Because I don't know about you, God consistently gives me more than I can handle. Here's the good news from you. Here's the good news for you, rather. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. In Christ, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, you're not that special. <laughs> but God is faithful. And in him, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he's, he's promising, this is a rock-solid promise, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure the temptation. We're all going to feel like sometimes we can't handle life and the temptations that come. But what it means for us is that the temptation, when we stay abiding in Jesus, that it might be a small door, but there's always going to be a door for us to run out of, to, to metaphorically escape or maybe physically escape from the temptation. You know, myself and friends that I've had have literally been in situations where we needed to run before. Maybe you're in one of those places right now. No one knows. You're thinking, man, maybe this thing will just blow over. You're going to get found out. The question is, is it going to be on your terms or God's terms? Do you need to run today? I have this friend of mine who entered into a relationship that turned into a sinful relationship, and he was going to marry an unbeliever. And I remember meeting with him at Starbucks. This is probably six or seven years ago. And I said, brother, I am, I am so concerned because you are so comfortable living in your sin. And he was so mad at me. <laughs> but you know what happened? He ended up getting out of this relationship. It, it meant breaking a contract on a house, cost him tens of thousands of dollars. To this day, he says, thank you. Thank you. Do you need to run today? Do you need to run today? I beg you to run if you do. The last thing is this, is that the gospel of Jesus offers hope for us by standing firm in the face of temptation. Jesus gives us boldness to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. In Ephesians 6, the scriptures tell us that being filled with this abundant life in Christ means that we have this, this metaphorical armor that comes from knowing him. And we often think about uh, the individual pieces, you know, of armor 
the, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the, you know, the sword of the spirit, the shoes of gospel peace. We, we think about them individually, but really the way that Paul intended for us to think about them is a, is a collective because the thing that he keeps coming back to is he doesn't say, hey, fight. He says, stand, stand. Don't try to fight the devil. Just stand. Stand in all that Christ has given you. Stand. Our primary battle in this world isn't in what we see, but it's in what we don't see. Here's what Paul says. He says, finally be strong, Ephesians 6, in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but a lot more, guys. The rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. There's so much more going on than you think. And the scriptures say that we have power to stand through Christ. Jesus was well acquainted with this battle. In fact, he modeled it. And this is why Jesus modeled this prayer as a way to resist the devil. You remember what he tells his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane when the enemy's using that opportune time? He says, pray that you do not fall into what? Temptation. In other words, the devil's close. Pray. What is, how does Jesus close out the Lord's Prayer where he's teaching his disciples how to pray? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Church, do you tap into the power to stand through Christ? Because there's way more going on in this world and in your life than whatever situation's right in front of you. And we have all that we need to stand in him. So whether you need to shine forth this week, whether you need to run, or whether you need to stand, I pray that you would let Christ's power be shown boldly through your heart and life. And if there's some, if there's some work that you need to do with the Lord today, I pray that you wouldn't miss the opportunity to do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for this time together with uh, this amazing church, Lord, that responds so faithfully and consistently to your word, God. Lord, I pray that you would, you would help me to live out this sermon that I've preached. I pray that you would help us to bring the temptation that surrounds us out of the darkness and into the light, Lord, that it would be a consistent conversation in our circles of community, that we uh, would take uh, to shine light in the darkness of, of temptation, Lord. I pray for those uh, in here today, Lord, that, um, Lord, they're in a dark place. I know in a room this size with this many people, there are a couple people that need to run and it's bad. Father, I pray that you would give them the courage to do something with where they're at because the gospel gives us strength to turn from the lies and turn to the truth. And it might feel really awful. But Lord, just like my friend, I know that three, five, seven years down the road, they'll be thankful for your work in their life. So God, give us strength to turn to you today. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. 
If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.